Women Abroad, be inspired by women who find their true selves living abroad. Hello and welcome on my podcast Women Abroad with me, Françoise Fallis. My podcast is a space for young professional women to talk about their experience abroad and reveal the wonderful women behind these stories. My host for this 24th episode is Ludovica Arvigo, an Italian student in psychology. With her, we explore what it means to develop a third culture when, like her, you grow up abroad and build your educational background outside your parents' country of origin. The wish to take a gap here never comes by chance. It often answers a call for self-discovery out of your comfort zone. From a getting prepared to a four-month trip in Central and South America, Ludovica's episode is a ode to the joy of meeting yourself outside of an organized setting and a powerful confidence booster. My apologies for the internet connection that it's slightly unstable at moments. Thank you for your understanding. Let's now meet Ludovica. Hello, Ludovica. Hello. Thank you for accepting my invitation to share your experience as a young woman living abroad. Thank you so much. The least we can say is that you are a traveler, as you have lived and studied abroad for quite a number of years. But before we dive into your international experience, could you briefly introduce yourself and tell us where your journey abroad started and where you are currently studying? The floor is yours. Thank you so much and uh, hello to everyone um, listening. My name is Ludovica. I'm 22 and I'm originally Italian from the north in Torino. Um, I'm currently studying my master's degree in Rome in clinical psychosexology. Well, my life journey, I guess, began in France where I was born and then since then moved around abroad quite a lot and ended up in Rome right now. Would you like to say different countries you lived in? So a little bit in France, although I don't quite remember it. Then in Italy, in China, in Luxembourg, in the Netherlands, and back to Italy now. Back to Italy. So we often describe third culture kids as, as children from parents of different cultural backgrounds or parents of the same culture but who lived and were raised by their parents in the different countries parents lived in would you describe it as your case or would you define yourself it's hard and it's I think it's something I often struggle with when I like talk to people about myself and my life I would definitely say I'm an international kid, but my parents are both Italian and they were born and raised in Italy. So they're, they had a completely different life from the one that I had. But then my brothers and I, we were raised mostly outside of Italy. So I would say I'm a third culture kid, but then maybe second culture kid. I'm, I'm not quite sure. Uh, I always have a bit of a struggle in defining myself with this because some people don't consider me Italian, but I consider myself Italian. And yeah, you identify yourself 
as an Italian. Would you define yourself as a, a world citizen? Yeah, I think that's definitely a better way to put it. Um, I think I feel more Italian when I'm outside of Italy, when I'm with non-Italians. But then as soon as I'm in Italy, I don't quite feel Italian. And there's always this like back and forth of fitting in and then not fitting in. It's always been like in the gray area, um, not fully in, in one category, not fully in the other category. So I think a world citizen is definitely a better way to, to put it. You maybe particularly felt the situation when you came back to Italy to study in Rome. Uh, did you experience a culture shock on the return to your own country? I would say so, um, especially because it was not only a return to my country, but it was also um, an exploration of a new part of my country. I've never um, explored Rome or the center slash south of Italy so much, and I've never been that exposed to this culture. So it's true that I'm still in Italy, which is already kind of weird for me. Um, and plus there's like a whole new culture to learn about because I'm not just going back to my hometown in Torino. It's definitely different from Luxembourg, from the Netherlands. Um, and it's also different in how people perceive me. Like I said, they don't quite perceive me as Italian. Um, yeah, it's, it's hard, but it's also hard in a good way. It can be funny sometimes and How do you appreciate Rome so far? I love it. Um, City-wise, it's like an open museum. It has the best aesthetics, the best buildings and um, history. Well, I mean, it's one of the most um, loved cities in the world. It is very chaotic and it can be a little bit overwhelming because it's always full of tourists and um, people here are... They love life, which is good, but they also love life in an exaggerated way. So people are loud and people are extra and, um, you know, everything is about who talks more, who eats more, who does this more. But I think it's definitely a warm atmosphere. And in the end, people are welcoming. And I think that's like the most important thing coming from outside. It's quite, it's quite different from studying in Rotterdam. This You took a bachelor's degree in psychology in, in Rotterdam. So you were very influenced by the way the Dutch people, probably another international university, uh, approached studies, approached life, and with a different cultural background. Where did you feel the most comfortable in? Between Rotterdam and Rome? Yes. It depends on you, of course. It depends on yeah. your personality. There are many different factors that could in impact your judgment. It's a tricky question. Um, I think I got so used to the Netherlands and to Rotterdam, also university-wise, so how things are done academically, that I feel like here in Rome, all that I'm experiencing is different as if I've made like uh the northern life more my normality let's say I don't know what I prefer it's different I think one thing I definitely prefer about Rome is that there is more to do it's bigger there's more activities there's more things to go out more 
clubs, more restaurants, more people, more everything. So you have more options, which is good in some moments. But then in Rotterdam, maybe it's a bit more like it was a bit more niche. Maybe you do always the same things, but you always know that you're going to have that like comfort of like a small bubble. And in some moments that is very helpful, helpful as well. And I think I got used to that much more. And now it's like I have to train myself to like reopen up to to everything again. Um, but I wouldn't be able to to choose between the two. I think they're both so unique and I so far loving both. Oh, do you think are you perceived by your Italian peer students? Are you perceived as an Italian or as a, as another international student coming to Rome to study? I think this is the best question um, <laughs> because it's such a, a hot topic with my friends and I. Like we discuss it almost on a daily basis, and really, my yeah, my my Italian friends who are born and raised in Italy, so like never lived outside, never have had international experiences. They consider me international. They consider me Italian because of my family and because I speak Italian. They don't consider me entirely Italian from a cultural point of view. Um, sometimes they say I say words wrong, that I use English expressions and I just directly translate them in Italian. And so that my grammar, like, yeah, my words don't really make sense. Um, sometimes they'll talk about like, music or like tv shows when they were growing up cartoons that i have completely no idea about and they're like oh my gosh you're missing out this is such an italian thing or even sometimes foods that i just don't know and they were like what like how you've never tried this like this is so common and so they just yeah they i they they consider me like more coming from the outside and just someone who speaks their language And how do you feel about it? Uh, I, don't, I don't know what word to use, but a bit odd. Because kind of that like um, struggle with like, where do I fit in? You know, because outside people would tell me you're extremely Italian, like in everything you do and everything you say, the way you move your hands. But then here, everyone's like, no, definitely not Italian. And makes me feel, I guess, sort of left out sometimes. Like I don't understand, like I couldn't understand them when maybe I feel like I do. And it makes me feel like I can't claim my being Italian because someone will be there to tell me, no, actually you're not. So yeah, I guess a little bit left out and a little bit odd because then my parents are like 100% Italian. Yeah, but at the same time, it's part of, of who I am and part of my identity. And I guess I also sort of like being a little bit like not defined clearly. Probably your identity is made of a beautiful cultural mosaic of the different yeah. countries and what you took from all these countries you lived before. Because the, there was China too, much earlier yes. in your life and Luxembourg where you you completed your international baccalaureate, your IB. Mm -hmm. And Luxembourg is also an important country for you. Very important. It's actually the country where I've lived the least number of years. 
Um, but I think it's the one that had like the most positive impact, I would say, especially because it was during adolescence. I was not totally happy in Italy before that. So moving to Luxembourg for me was a very important like step for, for me personally and for my family. Um, and it definitely had a really good like effect for me. I loved the school. I loved the people that I met. It definitely changed the course of, of my life because I don't know if I would have ever um, studied in Rotterdam after that, if I would have stayed in Italy. And my best friends are the ones that I met in Luxembourg in high school. So it, it completely like changed and reshaped the my life. Yeah. Yeah. Are you still in touch with with your best friends you met in, in Luxembourg? Absolutely. Most of the time with IB after grade 12 and everyone goes in different directions as most parents come from different countries so most students become international students studying a bit everywhere in the world so it was the case for your friends and for you too so are you are you still in touch with with them I mean it definitely happened that like a lot of us are just scattered around and I don't speak to to men to most of them because we were like a hundred or something, but the few good friends that I made, I talk to right now. Like we call, we FaceTime, we update, like a couple of them are my good, good friends. And I think will still be for a very long time, if not forever. And interesting, interestingly, <laughs> they're also kind of like me, like this mix of nothing and everything and I think we just found each other and decided to stick together. Um, it's hard definitely because we don't see each other. So we only know about our lives through social media or through the monthly like catch up call. But then once when we're back together, it's always the same. And we know that we have Luxembourg as like as a common um, yes. point. Like, yeah. That binds you. India. Exactly. That's very important. I, I can understand. And and then after you took, you completed your bachelor in psychology, you made an important decision is to take a gap year. And well, why? And what was your motivation for having a gap year at that particular moment in, in your life? It seems that you had a good time in Rotterdam. You could have continued with with, with a master or start working. But you made a different decision. Yes. So I think I only fully realized why I did it in hindsight, like now. I think in the moment I just did it because it felt right. <laughs> um, but I, there are like some some specific reasons. I mean, first of all, in general, after three year bachelors, I just felt like I needed a break from education, as most people do. Um, there was COVID which was very hard because essentially it took away almost a year and a half of my uni life and it was setting from home and like everything changed. And I think it, it had like a, like a very big impact differently on, on everyone. And I just felt sort of drained from the studying plus COVID that I felt like I needed a break from like the organized and planned life. Like I just wanted to do things more spontaneously and just try out new things. And I've always wanted to like 
stop and just do something for myself, like earn some money for myself and then do something with that money. Wasn't studying already a good way of of doing something on your own? I mean, it's quite a responsibility <laughs> already. <laughs> it definitely was. It definitely was, especially because I moved out when I was 18. So I, I definitely was already independent in some way, but I wanted to feel like financially independent as well. And I think that's like a big breakthrough in like one's life to start being financially independent. Um, and I think I wanted to test that for myself, I guess. And also during COVID and the university and everything, I also went to like personal therapy, like for myself. And I think it came at a conclusion and the timing was perfect for me to just say like, okay, I just need a year for myself to do things how I want to, without listening to anyone, um, exploring things, meeting new people, just, just essentially planning a day by day. Like, uh, and, and so I did as simple as that. <laughs> Could you a little explain what, what you did during this year? So um, in the first months, I worked in a cafe in Luxembourg for like September to January. So it's like five months. Yeah. Completely last minute, like in August, I was sending emails. Hey, I would like to work in a cafe. Never have had experience before, but would you take me? And then it just like... It worked out with one of the with one of the cafes. So I did that. I loved it. It was very, very hard, very long hours, little sleeping, little eating, but I met a lot of cool people. And I think the like experiencing a job for the first time, even something just as waitressing, it gives you a lot. Like the time management and like just the the community you work in and respecting and the clients and I don't know I think I, I thought it was really cool study and work environments are completely different completely and secluded world almost completely especially because I was the youngest working there everyone was like maybe 25 or more and I'm I was only 21 at the time so everyone was like what are you doing here like and I was like yeah I just I don't feel like studying right now. I'm just taking a year off. And then I stopped working in January and sort of started planning uh, a trip to South America that for some reason I was attracted to South America. And initially I was planning with a friend and then they, um, they like sort of dropped out because they didn't have the um, financial means at the moment. And everyone like thought that I was going to back out as well, but I didn't. I was like, no, I'm going alone. Like, I don't care. <laughs> I booked a flight to Peru. I just saw that like a lot of people had done it before and there were so many things that you could do there. So many things to visit. I didn't even plan what I wanted to visit or where I wanted to go. I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to book a flight and figure it out. You already had uh, some ideas of countries you wanted to visit. I had planned uh, Peru, Bolivia, Chile, and Argentina, and then it ended up being something else. That's quite ama amazing. Do you realize that it could frighten so many young women saying, okay, hello, I'm traveling. I'm just book a ticket. I don't know where I'm heading to, but I, 
I'm open to the unexpected. So that's yes. quite amazing. Do, do you think that the fact that you had been exposed to living abroad for so many years positively impacted your your decision, made it easier as for others who had not been exposed to living abroad? It would have been a much more complicated decision to make. It, it's, it can be frightening. Yes, definitely. A lot of people were like, what are you doing? Like, like, are you really sure? Like, you're going to have to text me every day. Like, you're absolutely insane. What are you doing? Like, your mother is, your parents are like crazy to let you go. How did your parents react? I, I genuinely felt like I was in this bubble where it was just me inside. And every, like every comment from the outside, I was just like, eh. like, I would just like deflect it. I was like, ah, oh, no, like. It's not that frightening. It's not, my parents are not that worried. They were extremely worried. Uh, well, my mom mostly was extremely worried. And they... And certainly proud of you. They both have a lot of faith in me. But my dad, mostly in the sense that he trusts like my instincts and like my responsibility. He's like, I know that you're going to be fine, whatever happens. And I know that you will find a way. And my mom, she thinks the exact same way, but I think she has some sort of more like instincts inside of her to to try to like protect me and hold me closer to her, which is completely normal. Um, and I sort of like, I think I was a little bit strict on her. I was completely like, mom, listen, like I'm 21. You can't tell me what to do. If I want to do this, I will do it. And you're just going to have to deal with it. And she just did. Um I definitely think that being exposed to so many different like environments in my life just made the decision easier because I'd, like my my threshold of fear of the unexpected is is way higher um, than for other people. And I think it's also a good combination with my personal character, I guess. I seek the unknown a lot. Like it doesn't frighten me that much. It, it, it thrills me more in, in, in a way. So you're ready to take more risks. I mean, the, as you said, the threshold of the unknown is no longer the same as you have not been exposed to, to this before. And I think it's also that bubble that I described, like this bubble of naiveness and invincibility, like feeling like nothing could touch me, which is it's not good always because a lot of things happened that some like less pleasant things happened, but I don't know. I just went through it with the sort of lightness. doesn't matter. Like whatever happens, it doesn't matter because I know that in the end, I will take away something that is so much more important than the singular like experience of, of an event. Could you reassure other women who have, who have never traveled as you have, how could you reassure them And describe a little the different practicalities, how you got prepared to that kind of trip, maybe about visa, accommodation, safety measures you had to take, how you traveled inside the different countries you went, you visited, things you don't have to forget. I would definitely say the first part is the most stressful. When you have to start researching things and when you have to start making a sense of of everything, because if you Google like, okay, gap year or traveling solo in South America, like you will get tens and thousands of results on Google. So a big research at first. Yes. I think that is what scares a lot of people is wanting for everything to be already like specific and set from the very beginning. 
but we have to realize that that's impossible. Like there is no way that if you will Google what to do in Peru in a month that you will get like specific things. Like you can open as many blogs as you want and everyone will say something different. The very first step for someone is to pinpoint the big aspect. For example, focusing on the uh, security aspect. I signed up, there's this, um, this health and safety I don't know if to call it association. I don't know what the right word is uh, for Italians traveling abroad. It's called Farnesina. And I signed up to that and you get all informations about, you know, if something happens, like who you need to call, the numbers you can contact, what you need to carry with you for other people to recognize you, um, these sort of these sorts of things. And then I looked also in a broader range, like, okay, what airline companies are available to me and what are sort of the price ranges? What apps do I need to download? So I downloaded apps for uh, hostel bookings, for transports, Uber, for example. And I just tried to keep everything broad because there's no way that I could have booked a hostel while planning my trip and still being in Europe. You don't know how it's going to be once you're there. But I did download the app and I was like, okay, this is the app I, I have. And I'm like, I'm getting to know it and see how it works. And once I'm there, I know that I have this tool available with me. So sort of a preparation phase um, with all of the tools without trying to go to specific. Because the more specific I went, the more anxious I felt. Yes, I understand. Try to take a step back. And also my parents were telling me like, you can't know that, that now. I think one very important thing for people who want to take the step is to say, okay, I'm just going to try and keep it broad and have the most important things I need set and clear out there. Then there's packing. It was not an all-in. <laughs> of course, definitely. You, you need to be open to the unexpected. Other way, you, you, you don't go. Exactly. Also, because if you plan in the specific, then once you're there, you see that things happen, and then you will just probably more likely to have a bad reaction because things don't go as planned. Well, if you keep it broad, you're sort of like protecting yourself. Like, okay, well, does, it can't not go to plan because I didn't plan it. Did you have an internet connection everywhere you went? So probably in very isolated places you did not have. So how did you manage? Did you have a, of the country you could rely on with phone numbers, with uh, important places to visit, curiosities and that kind of things? Or did you trust your your smartphone? So I had, for example, like Lonely Planet guides and stuff back home. I didn't bring them with me because one tip, do not bring books when you travel. <laughs> they are <laughs> it's extremely <a> <laughs> heavy. Yes. I relied on my smartphone and I did research before on like SIM cards. So in every country... I bought a SIM card. It's a thing that most, most travelers do. And you can figure it out there easily. Like the first day that I would land, I would just go to the shop, even in the airport, and they know that you're a traveler. So they just get you the best deal with as many, as much data as you want per month. And so you have pretty much service everywhere. But of course, in rural areas or in the middle of the Amazon or on the top of the mountain, you don't. So there'd be maybe five, six days where I didn't have my phone you just kind of live with it. Like it, it doesn't really matter in the moment. And if you need anything, you ask the people around you, like, how can I 
get to this place and they will tell you, oh, there's this bus and you just kind of have to trust. Of course, I would carry maybe a number with me of a friend that I had met in the hostel or my parents' number, like written. I had on the back of my phone, actually, um, and I kept it throughout my whole uh, travel period. I had this little uh, sticker that I made myself back home with my name, date of birth, nationality, mother's phone number, father's phone number, and then emergency contact. It was from the uh, Farnesina that I spoke about. And I kept it there at all times. That's wise. If I was lost or in need of help, or even if my phone was lost, because that's another big thing. You can lose your phone so easily. Someone can steal it. I don't know how much that would have helped, but I still did it. And that's also one way that can reassure people, like trying to do all these small things to like ease yourself in like in the process. If you don't have service, if you don't have your phone, it doesn't really matter. Like in the moment, you don't feel like it matters. And so you did not book accommodation everywhere in advance. You booked the first places and then you were open to the adventure week by week how it went. So I read a lot of I read a lot of blogs before of people who had done this, for example. I also contacted some people that I knew that had traveled um, around the world, like in Asia or just in general. And I asked them, like, how did you do it? Like, did you plan things before? And they told me there's this advice that I got from everyone and everywhere online. Do not plan And at the beginning, I genuinely thought at the beginning, like, these people are crazy. Like, I wanted to plan. I was one of those people that I was like, I have to plan. Also because I'm a bit of like a, a planning freak. Like, I love to plan things. When I told them, like, don't plan, I was like, what do you mean? But like, where do I go? Like, where do I sleep? Like, how do I know? And they, everyone told me, once you are there, you will meet people who will tell you There's a, there's a sort of common unsaid culture where like all the travelers, they just know like what they're going to do and what they're going to be doing. So I booked my first hostel in Lima for uh, four days. I was like, I'm just going to take it easy. Four days, explore the city. Four days was really long. Like <sighs> I didn't need four days, uh, I, but I didn't know. And then I met so many people. Catch up with the jet lag, probably. Yeah. One or two days. Exactly. I met so many people and they were like, oh, I did this tour of Peru. Oh, I can give you this contact. I know this guy. I know this driver. I know this person. And I know this hostel is really good and they have discounts I can give you. Like you just, you're so overwhelmed with so much information that I was like, okay, tomorrow I want to go here. And you can, it works in a way that you can text any number at like 4am. Like I want to do this tour tomorrow. And they're like, okay, I'm going to pick you up. Like it's so spontaneous with the, ho with the hostel apps that I, that I mentioned that I downloaded. Um, of course, some hostels you have to book in advance. Maybe if they're like really famous hostels or like if it's a party hostel, you may, might have to book it a couple of weeks in advance, but most hostels you're just like, okay, I know that tonight I'm going to arrive in um, Arequipa. I'm going to go on my hostel app while I'm on the bus to Arequipa. Oh, let's look at hostels there. Okay. Less expensive, more expensive, fancier, less nicer, blah, blah, blah. Um, okay, book for one. And you just book it through the app. You get there. Hi, I'm Ludovica. Okay, here's your room. Like, it's so, it's so simple. And a new world is opening to you. Yes, <laughs> yes. And so you trust yourself. You trust what you what you discover and, and, and everything yes. goes around. I think every country a different vibration too. 
So probably yes. you would not have experienced your first step in Luxembourg the same way as you experienced your first steps in, in Lima and in the different countries you visited. Definitely different culture. Definitely different culture. And how did you feel when you were there? I, I don't know if there are any words, like just so full of life, vibrating, like everything was everything was good. In what sense? I feel like everyone experiences it in like different moments of their lives. Those moments where you just feel like elated, where like everything is good. It's kind of like when you're in love, <laughs> you feel like even when there's issues, even when there's problems, like oh, the exam went bad or I missed this plane or anything. If you're in love, like, you know, you, those are like secondary things, you know, you feel like everything is so temporary, but what you're feeling is like going to be there forever. And you're like, okay, whatever, this doesn't matter. You feel like literally on the top of a mountain. And that's exactly how I felt for those four months. I had some really like unpleasant experiences and I didn't stop for a second. I was like, eh, they don't matter that much compared to the good times that I'm having. Um, so yeah, just, just this like constant feeling of, of global happiness. And obviously there were times that were tougher and I, and I cried and I wanted my mom and I wanted my bed and my shower, like that's normal, but overall just, just happy, happy with myself and happy with the people around me. In harmony with yourself. Exactly. In harmony with myself. Extraordinary. I think this lack of fear, probably people around you felt it. Something irradiated out of you <laughs> to some extent. Yes. And so you could feel that you were not fearful. And so, well, you were open to the unexpected and everything would go right. You trusted yourself. Definitely. And it opened doors. It definitely opened doors. Opened doors also with myself, like between me, myself, and I. And I think one very important thing everyone asks me this is like, how did you feel like, wait, how did you manage? How were you so fearless? And and I think what people don't realize is that I wasn't like that before I left. Like before I left, I, I was just feeling normal and I was definitely excited. But I think when you are in a situation where you are alone and You have to deal with the unexpected. You have to deal with surprises. You have to be able to organize yourself. What am I going to eat today? How much money do I have for today? What tour do I want to do? How, when when do I move to another country? When when you have responsibilities, your inner instincts, they start to kick in. Like survival starts to kick in. Um, planning starts to kick in. Trying to get things done. All of those things, they just come natural. It's like I told myself, like, okay, now you're going to be fearless. And no, no, of course. For some reason, that fearlessness and that feeling of, of invincibility came out. But if I would have been with someone on the trip, like a friend, or if it would have been a holiday or with my parents, I would have never felt that way. And I think it's even in small things of life, like if you, If you go do something uh, with your friend, like it, you have like a sort of like shared responsibility. So, you know, you're not going to take up on anything, everything on yourself. But when you do something alone and you accomplish it, you feel so empowered. You're like, wow, I actually can do that. And all it is in my perspective, all it is, is just, it's just survival instincts. I have to eat today. I have to sleep today. I have to book that plane to get there. 
there's no other way because I am alone in this continent and no one else is going to do it for me. So people were like, but how did you do it? It's like, I don't know. It's just like my inner bodily mechanisms. They just did it alone. Like so many people have the potential for that. Uh, But we're so used to doing things with people around us that we never get to experience this empowerment of being alone. Also because being alone is scary. Another topic. So it's all started with some intuition that's going and taking this gap here and making organizing this trip would be a good thing for you. And then Mm -hmm. you said instinct was kicked in, survival instinct. So there is a nice combination of intuition and instinct. That's very interesting. And would you say this trip answered an existential quest? That's a hard question. Um, (laughs) I wouldn't be able to pinpoint what questions it answered, but I definitely think it answered some, opened the discussion to some. I think mostly regarding just myself and my loneliness. And just, I think also after the years of COVID and feeling so like gloomy and so dark and like this like negative view of the world, I think it just re-enlightened and like, put everything on a more positive note for me. It it definitely did in some way. Would you like to say a few words about how you were welcomed and perceived as a traveler, first traveling on your own and then as a woman traveling alone? Did it change how local people perceived you? As a traveler, I think very normally. There are a lot of travelers. It's very normal. Uh, for people in South America to to see travelers, like they get plenty all year round. Um, of course, I think what mattered the most was the intersectionality of it. Like, I'm not only a traveler, but I am a lone, a solo traveler. I am very young, and I am a woman. And most of the solo travelers that I met were uh, were males. And if they were females, they were generally older, like maybe in the 30s. So when when I told people that I was 21, they were like, oh, like, are you here with your friends or are you like on a graduation trip or are you on the typical European gap year that a lot of friend groups take? I was like, no, I'm just alone. And there were a lot of shock reactions, both from the travelers and from um, the locals. You're like 21 and you're a girl and you're just in South America alone. I was like, a lot of people thought that it was quite, yeah, like a courageous thing to do. You went over the, some biases people could have about a woman exactly traveling alone. And that's good. I've got a lot of questions like, are you feeling scared? Uh, did anyone approach you? Like, you know, yes, but not any differently to how, it's, how, to how I've experienced things in Europe. It's not been like more or less. So I don't feel like any different in being alone as a woman here. Yeah, I got a lot of positive feedback from other people. Like, like that's that's very admirable. And uh, also, even just if I'd be like on a taxi ride, like from the airport to the hostel or something, if the taxi rider would be a male, they would be like, what? You're here? Like, you're alone and you're only 21? Like, do you not study or do you not? Like, you know, definitely being solo traveler female had a had a had an impact interestingly all the people that I traveled 
with. I met a lot of solo travelers and we like decided to do some trips together, some tours and stick together for like a couple of weeks because it's easier, obviously. And if you just make friends and all of them were all of them were guys because I didn't meet any female solo traveler to stick with. I only met male solo travelers to stick with. Does everyone was like, you're always traveling with like boys. And I was like, I, I know, but they're the only solo travelers I'm meeting. Congrats. Well, it's it's well done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it, it definitely, this experience definitely enriched your experience of life, but it can enrich your future studies and all you, you embrace, you embrace studies, mm-hmm. you embrace life, you, yes, it, it helps you shift perspective. We're soon coming, nearing the end of, of, of our interview. Is there, it's a recurring question I like to ask to all women I interview. Is there any advice, piece of advice you'd like to share to other women who would consider traveling on their own and making a gap here? What would you tell them to lift their fear and to embrace more openly a new environment? I would say two things. The first one focused on the on the small, like on the in our inner life. And the second one is more like it's bigger and it's more general. I think if someone, well, if 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 anyone out there as a woman, they feel this inner need or like call for doing something like this, it can be anything. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be, it can be one month traveling, four months, a year, it could anything. If you feel this thing inside of yourself, it means there's like a search for something, right? And that search for something should be expressed. It should not, It when we recognize it, it's not like, oh, I have this thing, maybe I should shut it down because I'm not allowed to do it. It's the opposite. It's like, if you have that, it means that for yourself, you have to follow that. And it's in the end, at the end of the day, it's all about trust. It's about owing to yourself I know it's it's very scary and it's very hard. It's very tough, but you have to trust yourself that you will be able to do it. Like there's no way of teaching yourself. No one will give you a like instruction. It's so complicated to explain in words, but I feel like if you have that inside of you, you already also have the trust. And there are there are more things that are supporting you in that trust than are going against that trust. It's just the things that are going against are easier to like take and are easier to see. Trust the universe will be with you. Yes, you tr- You have to trust the universe that will be with you and you have to trust you who will be with you. If you feel it inside, it means it's there, you know? And if it's there, it means that you have the ability to like put it in the world because you would not feel something if you don't have the ability to deal with it. That's like the basis of like even just emotions. So if you feel it, it means that you can do it. One advice. And then I think the second one is that... I also realized this in hindsight when people were like, oh, you're a woman traveling alone, so young. Um, But wasn't it scary? Like South America, all these like preconceptions and just like any stereotypes, I mean, they're partly true and partly false. But I think what's really important is I think I really needed to prove to myself that I can that I can disprove what is really false because in going there, like I exposed myself to certain situations that were like scary or potentially scary, but it's almost like I wanted to go through them to, to prove like, okay, but I can still do things. I can still go around and feel okay. 
if we don't do this as women, then we will always just believe that all this unsafety, all this danger is true. It's not necessarily, you know, there are things that we can do without feeling unsafe. It's not always true what they say. It's it's not always as bad as it seems. So I guess I just wanted to experience it for myself and to prove to myself that, that those these things can really, if other women feel like that too, then they should they should prove that to themselves as well. You definitely lifted the threshold of what you think that you can do and you embraced a much wider reality. Congrats on, on the you. trip you made. And that's very inspiring for other women who, who would consider to travel abroad. Thank you so on, much. On their own. Thank you for sharing your experience, Ludovica. Thank you. <laughs> a really nice moment I spent with you. <laughs> Me I too, wish definitely. a good end of the year. Thank you so much. and. Happy, happy new year to you as well. Thank you. Same to you. Thank you for following us in this episode. Because an international experience can awaken incentives and reveal new aspects in women's identities, Women Abroad is the podcast that appeals to young women everywhere. Did you like this episode? Like it and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts and share it with your friends. You can also rate us and review us. Would you like to share your experience abroad? Whether you are a student, an early career woman or a more experienced professional, contact me on my page women underscore abroad underscore on Instagram and women abroad on Facebook. You can also listen to the episodes on my website women-abroad-coaching.com. I wish you a great day and a bright life. Talk to you soon.